0: Dude. Welcome back to Between Sets. I'm your host, Tim Walcott. Here, I'm joined by my other co-host, Tyler Patterson. Hola. Um, we're also joined today by Brian Hallam. Who Good morning. This will, this will be his second uh, uh, appearance on the show. So, yeah, we're, we're happy to have Brian. Um, we thought, especially considering the current state of affairs with COVID um, and... Uh, just how that relates to healthcare in general and um, maybe some of the uh, some of the things that people are seeing online um, Brian could help shed some light on that stuff as well as his uh, experience thus far uh, as far as uh, being in sales in the health uh, as far as the healthcare system and how that relates to, to your work now um, do you want to tell people what you do now or maybe your history what you did do and what you have transitioned into recently
1: yeah so uh, last time I was on the podcast was talking about a big co-driver we were doing. So I was in mostly the world of Pepsi, And what that meant was a lot of screening and outreach programs. Uh, I've moved away from that organization and transitioned into medical devices. So I do have a bit of a follow up for that co-driver. It was a great success. But before I get to to that, uh, I work in MedDevice now. So it's a, a very different kind of sales process. It's all product oriented instead of service oriented and major things are targeted temperature management and drainage products. So that's awesome on a normal day to day. When COVID came, everything kind of got shut down and we moved to exclusively PPE. So we're doing masks, uh, masks, shields, and gowns is the majority of the the calls I'm making right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just been complete chaos. Like the general purchasing rules have been thrown out the door. Yeah, Uh, most often I'm reaching out to not only hospitals as is my normal role, but like cities, uh, first responders, like various departments, anything that anybody that might be interested in getting like a lot of positive feedback and a lot of big ordering. And it's just really it's pretty crazy right now. Mm -hmm. But I guess uh, I'm grateful to be able to have a little impact on it, be able to support some people. And uh, as much as it is like a really booming time, I guess you could say, at least in my world. I would much rather not have this <laughs> and I'd much rather everything be back to normal because that is a way more comfortable environment for me, but that's fine.
0: Um, what's, uh, you're involved in, in the sales uh, through a company that distributes PPE then and then? Yeah, so okay. I,
1: I'm an independent agent and I uh, represent a medical device company actually based in Ontario. Okay. So I'm managing Alberta and British Columbia. Mm-hmm. and they're a, like an amazing organization or like a, a bunch of rock stars and there's well connected in med device so when this happened they just kind of went out and tried to work with some of their other collaborators to get ppe and support the increasing demand and this was very early on mm-hmm. so by the time we actually had access it was a huge problem in making a call would like i can call up a hospital and i'll be put through to three different people that i need to speak with and we'll have orders within 48 hours and that's not uncommon whereas okay. in my normal day-to-day with like target temperature management and drainage products like that sales cycle is going to be like anywhere from you know at least a couple weeks minimum on like a very fast end to like six to twelve months uh, so okay. so things are really crazy i've never had i haven't been in this game that long Mm -hmm. But I've never had the kind of turnaround that we've been experiencing in the past. So
0: did your company voluntarily make this choice to switch over then? Uh, They didn't have like a, there wasn't like some level of government suggestion there or something?
1: Well, there was a lot of government demand, which kind of drove, which drove their decision to reallocate resources. Also like, so the first week of COVID, because I'm working in ICUs primarily, I'm not going in there. And they don't want to talk to me about targeted temperature management products as much as they actually are relevant for COVID. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of competition. We come in. It's a very kind of like slow, gradual development. And it's a capital, like you need a bunch of training. I've got to come in and do a bunch of in-servicing. It's not a very practical thing to do right now. Mm-hmm. And so I just really wasn't able to do much at all. I was trying to just brainstorm ideas. I was talking to my boss a bunch, trying to see what other angles we can take. The second that we got this the PPE access, that's 100% of the sales team's focus. So like there's four or five people that are working in Ontario at the, actually, I don't know if that's true at all, but how many people like this shipping out, dealing with the actual logistics of the products and devices. But the 10 of us across the country that work as independent agents or just as sales representatives, all of our energy got kind of transitioned into working with PPE.
0: It's crazy, eh? That's, like how yeah. many of these things have changed just overnight, and yeah, people had no idea.
1: It's crazy, and it's also crazy because, like, I'm not an expert in PPE. I'm very transparent about that with everybody I yeah. talk to. Yeah, but neither are they. So, when what they are you get, talking like, about? Uh, that's why we have
0: you on. You're yeah. a PPE expert, <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> Hallam, PPE <laughs> expert.
1: Uh, when they ask me questions, I'll get them answers because I've heard the question twelve, twelve times already, and I've been able to find out. But mm-hmm. I can very quickly tell that they're just like giving orders, buy as many as you can. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they, they're asking like their kind of whatever questions they were told to ask. Right. But they, they don't know any more than I do. And it's just this really confusing uh, process where it's not, it doesn't, it's not normal. <laughs> Everything yeah. is so strange, What <laughs> we're experiencing.
0: It's so yeah. such
1: a rush, so much urgency, so much seriousness. It's, uh, and there's, everyone's so grateful. It's a really, it's, it's, There's beauty to it, but the chaos is something I'm a little bit ambivalent towards.
2: Yeah. I like the way the world comes together in crises like this. Um, But there's also a lot of like crookedness. So, you know, thinking companies just price gouging and that sort of thing, which makes me sad. So I like that you everyone's so grateful. You actually you're seeing firsthand that people are are actually really grateful for your service. So that's nice. The other thing
1: and we have to I've never I've never pushed back at all on the price. So we are actually extremely reasonable. But the prices are more than they would have been six months ago. And right. that's largely because of fright. So when we have to ship in products, we have to fly everything in. we usually usually we'll would just be on a cargo, like a, on a ship.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that cost is going to, it's going to double triple our costs and then it obviously gets put on to the consumers. Definitely. ends up being super substantial, but like the, all the boats are being stopped. Whatever happened to the the pipeline protesters, I wonder if they're still doing it. But (laughs) but it's even like that was our issue before is there was delays in getting the ships into the ports because of the protests. I don't know if that's still happening. It might be, but now it's, they aren't even, they aren't coming in at all because of COVID. So everything has to be flown in and there's costs associated with that. So everything is, everything that's being purchased just got a lot more expensive and there's a lot less money because the taxes and people aren't working. Nobody's working, yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah. this kind of perfect storm in a really gross way, but mm-hmm. yeah. Anyways. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um but,
2: well uh, actually on a, on a positive note, actually, go ahead, Brian, but then I last. was going to
1: say recap on the on the coach drive. I was just going to ask this okay, Re- Perfect. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, real yeah. quick. Yeah. So there was uh, organizations in Calgary, Camloops, and Red Deer that took all of the donations and they were able to hand them out to a bunch of people in need in all those urban centers. Uh, they were all super grateful, <clears throat> super grateful to everyone that participated. As am I. Uh, we got at least fifty people coats this winter. Which That's is amazing, incredible. man. That's amazing. And then I know there's a <laughs> a lot more gloves than that, <laughs> 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 which was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So that was awesome. I opened up the box. I was like, "Oh my." Hey, man! There was, there'll be another
0: amazing. winter. Winter is coming. No they'll, be, no, they'll be. Those are
1: gone. Like they're all. They're oh, all. Oh, were gone. they? Oh, good. Within, within days. Oh, good. Oh, okay. know, that's, that's no, crazy. That's awesome. They get taken up immediately. So yeah. everybody it was a little warmer this winter, and it feels amazing to have played a little Dude, that's good, that. for, good for good for you, man. Else.
0: That's yeah, amazing what you I, did. That's cool. I really
1: appreciate what you guys did in Ontario. It helped me out a ton. I I thought it was just the one box, and another one came in the next <laughs> yeah. day. Like, yeah. Yes. So it was fantastic. felt oh, really. Yeah, great. that
0: was that was a great initiative, man. We're yeah. we're really happy to be a part of it. So it's pretty cool. Definitely. Yeah, it was great. For
1: sure. cleaned out a lot of closets too which is fantastic
0: yeah i think people are also happy to get rid of where they're like i'm yeah. not using this like yeah exactly. you know but it's a perfectly good coat i yeah. remember my mom had a couple where she's like tim this is a calvin klein we should definitely <laughs> give them this yeah. <laughs> she she was, was so like, excited to yeah. give them
2: something expensive yeah. i was
0: like i don't that's know does awesome. it work that's what matters yeah, i guess yeah, we'll, exactly. we'll just keep someone warm yeah. but yeah it was awesome she's like they yeah, gotta awesome. look good you got it look. was a
1: great success and definitely no complaints
0: um, on that note, shifting back to the COVID stuff, um, it's kind of a general question, but maybe something you could kind of go down the rabbit hole on, uh, you know, me and Tyler are here in Ontario. So we're, uh, we're observing things maybe from a, a provincial perspective here in Alberta. So maybe mm-hmm. some differences there. Um, but as far as, you know, nationally Canada's response to COVID, what are your thoughts on that? As far as what we've done so far, um, as a country, its response. And then as well as maybe even the the all this EI and uh, tax help and emergency response plans. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, I guess I want to preface everything I'm about to say. <laughs> um, I am working from home. I did a few Costco and Cabela's trips. Otherwise, I've remained completely isolated indoors. But <clears throat> that's Cabela's, out of
0: respect. Cabela's is essential in Alberta. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Well, man, I went to Cabela's in Abbotsford, and they were clear out too. Uh, oh yeah, ammunition is really uncomfortable. Yeah, um, Ooh, that would same situation for the most part here in Alberta. I was going for, for shotgun shells, like it was uh, We're just going out to shoot some clays. Yeah. My, my roommate and I, who we've already had a serious exposure, so we've just accepted the risks of that. But anyway, to go back to your question, so I'm really, uh, I'm really ambivalent towards the whole thing. Uh, there's a lot of kind of pieces that don't make much sense to me. And I can explain that, but it's just like the, the fear of the cure being worse than the problem. Uh, <clears throat> the loudest people in the media don't have to experience the ramifications of losing their shirts due to this economic shutdown. And like, I'm one of those fortunate people as well, but I don't know how normal that is. And if you were to pull the population at large, how are you dealing with the consequences? This is a really interesting question that I don't think is being answered adequately enough. Mm-hmm. Um, Health economics, which I'm, I'm hoping we can going to break off into a tangent here. It's like, it's definitely my, so I, I have a, just a recap. I did a kin degree, an econ degree, and then I went and did my master's degree in epidemiology and biostats. So economics was where like I came into school being like, I actually give a shit and I'm going to do well here and put my, you know, focus on my studies as opposed to the first time coming through university. It just seems to be like more of a party. And I, I think that's a pretty common story. So economics is something I was really dialed in for, and I love it. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Health economics is just, you know, obviously the economics of health. And the biggest question you have to answer is, what is the cost of a life? So if you have a medication that comes in that costs half a million dollars, but will add 10 years to your life, it might be worthwhile. But if you have uh, a drug that costs $10 million and adds six months to your life, you got a question, is that worth investing in as a public, or as a single payer? And mm-hmm. the answer in that context would be no, that's like very egregious and like, Uh, I understand the simplicity there, but what is the price that you're willing to pay? And if we had a a specific number, then we'd be able to kind of analyze this whole situation. If we had a lot of other other data, which I'll get into as well.
0: Just have Uh, a reference point.
1: Yeah, we'd be able to know like what makes sense as an intervention and what's worth spending the money on. Or in this circumstance, it's not spending money, but it's not letting people earn money, Mm -hmm. which is essentially the same thing Mm -hmm. uh, in in a lot of ways. Yeah. So- There, th- th- that question will never, I don't think, be, I don't think it'll ever be answered. It's just right. so controversial. And like, that's the thing about a- American healthcare is when you have the ability to pay whatever you want to pay. So in Canada, you can't go like, I- I'm going to go see my family physician. I'm going to get a checkup and I'm going to pay him an extra $5,000 to do these eight procedures. You literally, you can't do that. Like you, as long as OHIP in Ontario, or as long as the provincial payer is willing to pay, you are unable to pay to expedite or to get a increased co- more comprehensive care or whatever. It's, so it's not, it's not an option here in the States. It is. So if you're, if you're dying, you will just mortgage your house. You will sell everything to get the best possible healthcare you can. And there's a lot of healthcare providers that are willing to take your money. And so you end up having a much more expensive healthcare system. The difference is it's largely voluntary. So the people are choosing to spend recklessly when it comes to healthcare expenditure. So we don't have that here. But uh, the media being just like so overwhelmingly toxic and inflammatory, I've deliberately avoided it for the most part. So my trick to dealing with this whole thing is searching things like declining cases of COVID in success handling COVID. And that's been... Confirm my bias. Confirm my (laughs) bias. Exactly. So I just like, what's the positive bias I can have in this whole situation? And I'm just going to look to explore where that could be found. (laughs) I I have had a little bit of success that way. Sure. Yeah.
0: But going back to what you were saying, do you... You know, I know that that's a a controversial kind of topic and we don't have to go into like our opinions either way. Um, But do you think that... Uh, you know, because you raised a good point that, you know, there's a lot of people that are, don't have to risk losing their shirts during the shutdown. Yeah. And they're also quick to bite back anyone who maybe questions, is a shutdown right. worth it? Right. right? And uh, unfortunately, just like any other social or political argument, people get lumped into the extremes where it's like, if you're, if you question, is the economic shutdown worth it? People automatically think, oh, so you think this is a hoax? Yeah, you know what I mean, and it's like no, 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 no. That's yeah. not what that's not what this is saying. I think all questions should be valid. Every conversation should be allowed to be a uh, uh, platform and talked about. Right. Yeah.
1: That's the biggest signal right there. It's like when you try to question something and they immediately throw you into that camp and condemn you in some way. Right. It's like no, no. no I'm just like it doesn't like I'm getting some. So the other big one worth mentioning is that my my previous work was always with the most marginalized, with a generally homeless and uh, generally drug addicted individuals. Now, we're talking the most immunocompromised people in the population on average. I don't think that's an unfair statement. Mm-hmm. And they're often sleeping in shelters where it's like bunk bed situations where you're getting like 30 people into a room. And very often, like, picking up cigarettes, maybe not a, the best hygiene kind of uh, practices. There's a lot of criticisms if you're looking to avoid COVID at all costs, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not seeing people dropping like flies in these communities and it just doesn't make sense this mm-hmm. so there's a lot of details that i'm like i don't know i don't really get it and it's like well now there's people in italy that are dying that are under 20 I, I don't know like the, you're gonna get somebody that throws some data at you that i, I haven't really assessed or verified or validated at all mm-hmm. um and and i'm not saying it's not an issue and i again to i've been doing my little thing with my self-isolation but it's just I do question a lot of it, and it just seems uh It seems that doing so gets you in a little bit of trouble, and that makes me increasingly uncomfortable. And uh, I hope it passes. Short.
0: And and on <laughs> that topic too, I think that's a good point. But also the fact that you were saying, uh, you know, people can just throw data at you. Right now is a time where there's so much data, and it's yeah. probably, you know, it's probably another good reason to avoid uh, the media or at least avoid getting swallowed by it all day, which, yep. uh, you know, I'm a victim of as well. And now I have to kind of schedule and strategize when I'm going to look at these things and update mm-hmm. myself. Um, but like, there's there's beyond just the clickbaity headlines, which they need the clicks for, so we know how the media machine works. It's like, they're also throwing out data to confirm their own bias on whatever they're trying to say. So, you know, you don't need all this different data. Like, it, it, the human brain can only... Uh, 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 you know has the capacity for so much right it's like uh, more numbers is not better uh, uh, well, you might it, you might disagree in general because I know you like metrics but it's like yeah. if, to a degree it's like what are you gonna do with all of this you know like it doesn't change your behavior other than just what you think so you well
1: know. I think better quality data is better and sure, I think yeah I think more data of the same quality is better Sure. But they're not necessarily. They're using these tiny little subsections or uh, chunks of data to make these clickbaity stories.
0: And everybody's doing that. Almost yeah, everybody's doing that. But there's, but that.
1: there's yeah. no. It's not new data. It's just like some other subsection of existing yes. data. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So you can look yeah. at it and spin it however you'd like. It's just uh, like if you're telling me about three cases under of people being infected under fifty, it's mm-hmm. like oh, or under thirty. It's yeah. like that, that. I don't. That doesn't carry weight in my assessment of the severity of this issue. Sure, but if you're going to look at the, okay, right, so we can get to another huge issue I'm having right now is uh, testing. So right, <clears throat> somebody... well that
0: that skews everything all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah.
1: I have somebody very close to me that was uh, was sick one night, like just like literally uh, throwing up, and called in the next morning as a responsible citizen and said, "I've been having these symptoms. I've got a. Uh, I've been. I was violently ill last night. I'm feeling very fluish. I don't know uh, what's going on." And so they asked him a few questions about symptoms and he, uh, I don't think he had a fever and he wasn't coughing. Uh, I forget what the other question was, but because he didn't have those symptoms, oh, don't worry, just stay home. Uh, You don't need to get tested. It was just, this is somebody that's, I'm not saying he was symptomatic for COVID, but he had, he had concern. He had reason to be concerned Mm -hmm. and he wasn't even able to get tested. Mm -hmm. So the only people being tested are the ones that have the most like egregious symptoms. So you're saying like the top, 5, 10, 15, 20, whatever percent of the most symptomatic COVID cases are being tested of those. And that's just because of
0: the access to testing, right? You only have so much testing available.
1: Right. Oh, I don't know what the real limiting factor there is. Uh, Presumably, like they're just, they can only test so many people at a time and the labs are all backed up. Mm -hmm. in which case that would be like the biggest way to address future responses to increase the capacity for testing. But as long as you don't know the base population you're working with, you have no idea how dangerous this is. Right, yeah. you know, because it's very possible that you know eighty percent of the population at large is COVID positive.
0: Yep. yeah, and no has no been clue. since January. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have you're... no idea. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, or it may be like <laughs> like three years ago, and it just takes a long time to manifest. Like we have yep. no clue. Mm-hmm. So it's yep. uh, that lack of information, but the willingness to make such conclusive assessments based on the information you have brings a lot of skepticism to me. I think and that's a good point. I, I, I have zero conspiracy theories at all whatsoever. I think it's, I, I do not agree with anything I've read. <laughs> like it was yeah, man made? Yeah, you don't think it was Some of them are pretty funny. Well, that yeah. one's like, a, a, you could think that, I guess. Um, but yeah, that winner. one's
0: not that wild. You know, wilder but ones is like 5G. The celebrity ones? Yeah, are the hilarious. celebrity ones or the 5G ones.
1: What's that? I haven't heard that one. The, yet.
0: the idea that 5G cell towers are what's making people sick and they're right. using that's COVID amazing. as a, as a, <laughs> a scapegoat. Nice. That's a good yeah,
1: one. Perfect. <laughs> but yeah, like I'm not buying into those at all whatsoever. I think that the, the fear people are experiencing is based on data that is generally true, it's just incomplete. Yeah. So, so with, yeah.
2: That, with that all being said, Brad, do you think we're doing enough to like combat COVID or do you think we're not doing enough? Uh,
1: I think like I, I don't have a better intervention beyond shutting down the borders and okay. expanding screening. Okay. Uh, But I'm just like the panic that some people are, are living with, I might say like, download some meditation app and chill out. Nice. Yeah. It's not, it's not really necessary to freak out. And, uh, I think we can get through this and hopefully identify who is at risk and more importantly, who's not at risk and be able to slowly bring people back into the workforce. I think that's a very important priority that's being largely ignored until this issues so, completely so resolved what, so what
0: you're saying is you want people to die and you like money more yeah. than lives? yeah exactly right yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay okay <laughs> uh, brian Helm,
1: say, 2020 <laughs> yeah but if you're able to identify who's not at risk uh who's to say those individuals wouldn't be able to go back to the workforce if they voluntarily chose to and i think that kind of an openness would be very positive um but we won't know that until we test everybody and so we got to really expand these testing protocols and and do a lot of
0: Yeah, yeah, the, the panic measures. the panic is an interesting thing eh? like, mm-hmm. you know the two weeks ago somewhere around that time, you know, uh, plus or minus a few days like
1: yeah.
0: The panic that I witnessed here and you know in the town that my, the personal motive strength health club the studio is is located in like there was a weird vibe, man, like something I've never experienced until now. And I don't think I'll ever forget. And uh, yeah. it was it was pretty eerie, it was pretty strange. And from just a human behavior standpoint, just seeing how people respond to the unknown uncertainty and uh, yeah, just all those, th- the, the fear of it all was fascinating in the most negative sense of the term. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it, it didn't make me feel good, but also now looking back, I'm like, I mean, I'm sure there's lessons to be learned there, but it was, the panic was so strange, man. It was so fast, you know, like yeah, how that was, whole TP hoarding understand. thing started. The, like, people don't
1: understand the issue. And there's people that are willing to step up and provide this um, extremely, uh, I have a high level of expertise on this subject. Let me tell you what to do. Right. And all of those individuals were saying the same thing, which was like isolation, which was stay, uh, stay at home, don't interact with people. Yep. and uh, keep your distance and so that's the event measures that were eventually adopted
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it's i guess like to fast forward a lot i was gonna when you when you, you were talking we were discussing earlier about how if you question something and there's a big issue with you questioning it you identified a bit of a problem yeah and another along those lines whenever there's a reference to the flu people seem to get very up in arms like how dare you make the comparison to the flu and minimize the significance of this virus right
0: because of the camp yes because of the camp that would usually use that argument which i understand i understand the response because how it's been used mostly in this circumstance
1: right yeah it's a. it's again as a dismissive kind of uh, comparison right uh so I just looked up in the states, and the, the CDC estimates so far this season there have been at least 39 million flu in, illnesses, 400,000 hospitalizations, and 24,000 deaths from the flu. But that comparison is offensive. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I'm not saying the flu is is nothing. I'm saying the flu is extremely significant. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't shut down the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's the big difference. And then there also is some underlying data that's a lot more uh, I guess comprehensive than what we currently have for COVID because the testing is much more, uh, much more vast. Yep. So it's um it's and then there's also like the flu affects babies, which mm-hmm. immediately prioritizes it in the world of health, yep. <laughs> which is pretty interesting. But that kind of a comparison is like, not allowed right now. But I think it's a very interesting one, and I think there's a ton of people that are very significantly impacted. And then there's also a vaccine for a lot of different flu strains, which there is not for right. COVID. So that's another yep. way. To shut that one down but it's definitely worth reviewing you know it's definitely worth questions should
0: into. always be asked the conversation yeah. should
1: always be had yeah. yeah there's a lot of people there and, and and why are those people in any way less important like why are we not willing to shut down parts of the economy for them yeah
0: it doesn't i mean the, what let, let me present uh the, you know uh, one of the reasons why the shutdown would be necessary. And, you know, I don't think any of us is saying it, it isn't, we're just saying um, and maybe mm-hmm. having that conversation would be useful. Um, but w- what do you think about the whole, you know, the whole, uh, the notion of, of, of shutting everything down, getting everyone to isolate because we're already late to this and then we need to protect the, the, the healthcare infrastructure from being overwhelmed by the influx of of positive patients positive cases rather
1: Uh, i i get the fear and then by the time it actually happens it's too late so you have to take these kind of actions early Mm -hmm. um but i just don't understand it's a tough question man because like you're right like if there if there are a ton of people that got uh affected by covid and you didn't have the space that's a way bigger emergency Uh um But I also, like, what is the intervention we're currently taking in the healthcare system? Like, what are we doing with these patients? Uh, Are we impacting their survival rate in a significant way? Mm -hmm. Um, Those kind of questions are interesting to me. Uh, Is it like we just have the peace of mind of knowing they're in a hospital bed intubated, but it's not actually going to increase their life expectancy or their probability of survival, I should say? Yeah. I don't know the answers to any of those. And they're all interesting questions that I have no idea where to find the answers for. Yeah. Um, The it's it's, at the end of the day, at this point, there's a extreme limitation on data. And anytime there's a contagious illness that's being spread through the population at large, trying to minimize the constraints that you perform to control the spread, I think is important. And that wasn't done at all. So it's 100% everything shut down by and large, uh, shut down every single thing you can and we'll deal with the consequences of that later. Right. But for now, we're going to control, yeah, we're going to control this issue because we don't actually have any data Mm -hmm. to make a a rational, effective measure on.
0: Yeah. 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 It's a tough call. I I think (laughs) Canada over overall is, is doing reasonably well. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the the interesting thing going back to the panic, too, as far as it relates back to the media machine with this stuff, too, is, yeah. you know, they've induced a lot of this uh, um, panic in people, I think, as well. Because, you know, they don't stop moving and they know that there's a large amount of fear mm-hmm. um, and <clears throat> like, you know, all the hypochondriacs and everyone, you know, plus or minus them have also uh, been wanting to get testing and they're themselves also uh, uh, over, you know, contributing to the overwhelming, uh, healthcare system, which mm-hmm. is totally un, not only unneeded, but it's, uh, harmful in this, in this circumstance. Like it, uh, in Guelph here, I, it was told to me that, you know, right when they opened up their first testing site, they had like 150, something like that. People come out to be tested <laughs> who mm-hmm. thought they uh, should be tested based on their own self-assessment. Cool. And, uh, nine of them were only, uh, uh accepted because they had the uh criteria to be tested positive you know and i I don't even know who tested positive out of the nine this was earlier on so maybe none
1: but Mm -hmm. uh it's just
0: like it's like man that's pretty telling like stay home (laughs) like yeah you know like everyone you know like i I walked a little bit quick and uh, i have a shortness of breath so maybe i should go get tested (laughs) right (laughs) no just stay home you're gonna be fine
1: And then you'll listen to infectious disease specialists saying that, like, you, you don't need to be wearing a mask unless you have COVID. So it reduce the spread, but it's not mm-hmm. going to impact your ability to contract the virus. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's varying opinions on that too. But yeah. it's like all these people buying these masks, walking around, kind of continuing to perpetuate. This intense fear, it's like, it's very discomforting for everyone. Maybe it's necessary. And if it is necessary or helpful in any way, then let's get everyone that goes outside masks and gloves and can try. try, Mm -hmm. I just like it's a, I I think prioritizing getting back to business is extremely important. And that's kind of what I keep going back to. Um, If you just like, it's just the biggest shotgun approach ever of just like, everything in the path needs to go
0: right. So like, right
1: we don't know exactly what is causing this like we don't know precisely anything so yeah. just shut down everything yeah and i just think that's uh irresponsible yeah. and i've already i've read a couple articles about over two hundred thousand people defaulting, uh, default not defaulting but like uh, pushing back their payments on their mortgage and being unable mm-hmm. to pay this month and then uh, it was from two thousand seventeen, but a CBC article that forty seven percent of respondents said they'd be difficult to meet their financial obligations if their paychecks were delayed by even one week. <laughs> you know, so so you're going to stretch yeah. this on for three months, and like how much of Toronto is just a bunch of millennials that like to be in the center of the yep. center of the world yep. and are really living paycheck to paycheck in a and overextending themselves most likely. 99
0: percent uh, of them. yeah and the <laughs> like, same
1: thing and the same thing in Vancouver and I'm sure the same thing to some extent in Calgary and, and just yeah. every urban Winnipeg every urban center Montreal every urban center <laughs> across the country you know and it's the same yeah. story what are all these people doing and then the big thing like economics again again maybe a little insensitive but there's a lesson to be learned in all this and like the, the, the whole notion of a safety net never in our lives being like anywhere from 20 to 35 years old, maybe not 30, 30 years old, never in that. If anybody that age, you have not experienced an economic downturn in any significant way. So 2008 was real. That was a, a big hit to the economy at large. And that was 12 years ago. So I'm 28 years old. I would have been 16. I wasn't working. I wasn't in the markets. I wasn't like a real adult in any significant I have way.
0: no memory of it. Like, yes, it did exactly. not affect me at all, personally. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. So so this one's very different, but these happen and not that infrequently where these, these massive economic downturns and then people that do have those safety nets are able to continue on and get through them with this independent, because they took responsibility for their finances and responsibility for their future. The people that don't and overextend in every single way, they're going to get bailed out by Trudeau and it's guaranteed to happen. And there's going to be these massive payment plans that go out to allow everybody- <laughs> which, to which just
0: on. incentivizes that behavior further, yes, right? that's
1: like a big problem. Irresponsibility, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like, and the same thing happened in the in the collapse in 2008. In a, like, bailing out all those banks, that corporate welfare notion is something that's a, a very uncomfortable precedent to set because then it's basically saying you don't have to be responsible. Mm-hmm. as a, Not only as an you, individual- You can't
0: fail, yeah.
1: Yeah, not an individual, but like as a large enough corporation, it's just do whatever you want. We'll take care of you if things go south. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the big lesson that I hope a lot of people take away from this is that like you should have a little safety net there. Uh, you shouldn't overextend. You shouldn't be living exclusively on cash flow. It's uh, those kind of realizations I hope people catch on to. But at the end of the day, I, I think being super responsible today makes you a bit of a schmuck. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter. You're going to get bailed out. There's going to be no consequences for your behavior. <laughs> in yeah. A lot of oh, yeah, totally. And that definitely brings some frustration to me. So, yeah. Yeah. But um, th-
0: go ahead, Ty.
2: I was just going to say um, I think with all that being said, um, I wanted to give a life lesson to everybody right now, kind of circling back to the, the kind of start of the question there is that the fear, the media, we know how the media works. Obviously, it's kind of fear mongering people need to go, I need to consult an actual expert in some way, like if you're watching the news and it's an actual expert of some kind, so like, you know, if you are a, you know, um, some sort of doctor, you're actually on the front lines and they're on the, they're on the screen being like, you, you guys don't understand what this is, please stay home. We have no idea, it's people way smarter than you are saying like, please don't do that, right? So all these people just learning from their friends and family, it's like, it's kind of irresponsible try to find the expert in whatever you're trying to do. Like you wouldn't hire Tim to be your plumber. You'd hire him to be your personal trainer and you wouldn't hire plumber to be your personal trainer. And you should. So, and you should, and you should hire Tim not right now because
0: you're not working. Yeah. that's um, Come on. That's an insensitive self-promotion. Come on. How dare you? But then, <laughs> these are trying times.
2: <laughs> these are trying times. Um, but then to the, to the same, to the same effect when talking about the people that are going to be bailed out, I'm part of a bunch of facebook groups of massage therapists and obviously we're all independent contractors most of us are self-employed and that two thousand dollars that the cerb is going to give us is huge like they're trying to actually feed their kids like they're trying to be responsible people so you know there is people that kind of leech off the system which is unfortunate uh, and it sucks a lot so uh, i think there's i think hopefully we're going to be better prepared for i mean hopefully the pandemic doesn't ever come again but I think next time we'll be more prepared to go. I don't know if we handled that as well as we could have. Um, we kind of got caught with our pants down right now. Yeah. So hopefully guess, we kind of learn from it.
1: Uh, not that this is gonna make me sound any more sensitive, but the, <laughs> real, the real takeaway that I, I'm trying to like kind of highlight is the fact that if you don't have you know, a, a six month safety net of just like in the bank account, that's a problem. And overextending yourself to get a slightly bigger house because we all know, like in our lives, buy the biggest house you can with as little as you can down and wait 40 years, and you just made $180,000 of equity.
0: Because what right. people look at affordable, if I can afford it, that just yeah. means, can I get, can I borrow money for it? Can I afford yes, the loan yeah. for
1: it? Can I get access to the financing to make this my reality? That's,
0: that's it. And yeah. it's like, yeah, every. I mean, ultimately, we're arguing against an overly consumerist, materialistic kind of idea here, you know? So, which I think most people would agree with us on. Yeah. Right? It's largely
1: real estate for me. Um, it's just something that I find. People will pour every single cent they have. And it's even me, like I've saved up a nice little safety net. And most people in my circumstance just go buy a house. Right. So then I won't have any money.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're I'll not going to be, and like, except for this situation you find yourself in, you won't even spend time there. You would yeah. sleep there every now and then. You're just paying for a bed in yeah, yeah. a kitchen and a storage. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, people exactly. forget what they use the house for. Like, how many people actually spend time in their home? Yeah. Like, you're you, think, now but, you have to work all the time to keep this house that you're yeah. not even ever in.
1: But you should get a house. Like I think, like that's an awesome thing to do. But like when you can afford it. Sure. Sure. And that's the big uh, kind of limiting factor that I think uh, has been has not been considered for a long time. And I'm I'm hopeful that this kind of chaos that nobody gets hurt, everybody is able to make it through. But we're able to take this lesson and apply it as a more fiscally conservative country moving forward. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, I think this is the uh, adult equivalent to touching the stove and being like. Oh, i'm never doing that again like yes, we actually gonna learn 100 we needed to learn the hard way mm-hmm. you need to go oh i'm if if this ever happens again i'm gonna die without yeah. the government help which you know i'm grateful that the government is there to do these things but like you said Brian, in the same way i'm fortunate enough to still live at home uh, so i have also i have enough money to blast me for pretty good amount of time basically so i think it's important for people to to learn that it's a very simple idea but Mm -hmm. try as best as you can to live within your means
1: right Mm -hmm. exactly yep
0: um brian we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shift gears here and keep on moving down these questions um uh i did want to ask you you know and this may be kind of a quick one-off but uh (laughs) And maybe a quick, maybe a quick little no. I don't know. But is there a way that you think we could have been ready for something like this, something like this global pandemic, um, as you know, as a, a global population, or even just as us uh, in Canada?
1: As a global population, no. As a, in Can, and I say no because there's just so many differences between countries. Yeah. That kind of forcing your rules and regulations on any country is never happening. Mm-hmm. Um, As an Albertan, I will give you my biased Alberta answer and domestic supply being like, for example, oil and gas is always our conversation here. Um, Why is it that we go to OPEC uh, for our petroleum and they're going to ship it over here when we have domestic oil supply and we're supporting the existence of this criminal cartel in the Middle East in Russia? uh these kind of issues i think are really interesting and relevant and i think utilizing the resources that we have here as canadians we are a resource economy and being able to provide our own resources would make a lot of sense to me um <clears throat> i don't think that'll ever happen i think that i think globalization in general is a really great thing i think uh, the more the merrier almost any other time, I would be very comfortable saying that. Right now, it's very just uh, nationalistic, everything should stay here, everything should be produced here, everything should be done here. Um, That'll change, and I think that's for the better. I think globalization's a positive force at large. Um, The the ability to be able to domestic, or to manufacture domestically is important. So I think like, I've read a lot about the generic medications that are on crash carts at hospitals, for example. They're all produced in China and India it would be nice that we had some small fraction of manufacturing done domestically such that we could increase scale in a crisis. And that's something that I don't think we have the ability to do. Uh, that's a little discomforting. But the, the biggest thing, and it's kind of like without getting too political, it's a we're preventing our own provinces from flourishing. And now you can make a lot of different claims, whether that be, Environmental is the big one here in Alberta, or I guess with BC and Quebec, they've got a big environmental concern on Alberta. But uh, being able to work together into like kind of flourish as a country would make a lot more sense than like condemning and isolating parts of the country that you don't agree with and importing stuff from other countries that are way more crooked than Alberta could ever dream of being. Um, I think we have a a great regulatory environment here, and I think it's enforced. Like you can't get even. 10 feet from a pipeline where they're having 12 licenses and 36 different credentials in canada i don't know if that's the same overseas and no one's fact checking that so it's like if you can't afford to produ- or to manufacture domestically because you can't afford to compete in the global environment okay but the regulations that make it so expensive to produce here are not being enforced where the competition's present So I think all these considerations are very interesting. Uh, In the short term, what can we do to be ready for or to have been ready for something like this? No, (laughs) there's I don't think anything could have done. I think people acted very quickly uh, and very significantly. Uh, I have a bit of a criticism that may have overshot. I would have collected a lot more data, but maybe they could have. That's the other thing is I'm very sympathetic to the realities that other people are facing. We're all working with limited data, and they have to make decisions as people that are responsible for the well-being and healthcare of Canadians. Mm-hmm. So you're going to take your action, whatever you think is appropriate, based on the limited data you have. And in this case, it's the risks of not taking action where everyone dies. That's mm-hmm. the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think that's a reasonable concern, but that's my opinion based on even less data. So maybe they got more than me, and they're just making an educated decision with what they've got and i'm open to that being the reality because i don't know that much right so <clears throat> i don't know a bit of a non answer but
0: no that's good i mean it's kind of g- support local yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it'll be interesting to see you know even uh, uh in in these smaller kind of urban centers and smaller town centers like if the whole support local thing is a little bit more encouraged it, it always has been and you know depending on who uh uh um kind of expresses that uh, notion, sometimes it's a little bit cringe, <laughs> but well, like. I'll, I'll say
1: support national then. Like yeah, right, yeah, yeah, but, I, but any... I do
0: believe in that sentiment. Like mm. I do believe in what it means, like support local, and even more so now it's like, yeah, you know, this is gonna be pretty hard on a lot of small businesses. Um, and it's it's probably, I've already done uh, a few things personally for what I can in, in Aaron, where the studio is, um, for, some of the local businesses there that I would normally support anyway. Right. And I think when we come out of this, that is going to be, at least for me, it's going to be even more so on my mind, especially considering that like, you know, I, I've definitely been affected negatively by this severely, but not as bad as others. So I think I definitely have the opportunity to, to give a little bit where I can. So, um, but when this blows over, I'm definitely going to be thinking way more of that. Like I know, like Amazon is super convenient, but it's like, and Walmart is super convenient for a lot of my stuff. But I am probably just because of the weight of this, it's really shifted yeah. my perspective on like, all right, do I have a second option here that's maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, within my local economy?
1: I dig that for yeah. sure. I completely agree. I've been thinking yeah. a lot of the same things too. Yeah. And just like trying to get, like, if you do pay a premium for a better product, I have no issue with that. Right. And just trying to find access to those goods. But it's like yeah. interesting to consider how much, like, like North America, even if you just want to consider, again, sorry, I'm a little bit too much here, but Canada and America, mm-hmm. like the amount of potential we have as kind of a bordering nations is pretty incredible. And so being able to partner with a country like America and to be able to cr- have this, even if that's not truly domestic, but having a supply that's contained between those two countries mm-hmm. would be, and even throw on Mexico, let's go for all of North America. You know, we'd be a pretty Im- uh, incredible. We'd be able to, as like a group, a small, small, small group, be able to control these. We wouldn't have to rely on Asia, on Europe in any way at all whatsoever. And so some sort of a shutdown would actually be manageable. God forbid this ever happens again. Right. That's an interesting consideration that I'd be very supportive of. Sure. Um, I-, I think it's just like, there's so many people doing such amazing work here that are being kind of, I experienced it a lot. It's something I'm super sensitive to when I went from Vancouver to Calgary and like the pretension of the lower mainland was something that I, I was very frustrated by when you think about all like the rednecks and the woods people that live anywhere except the lower mainland. Even when you talk about interior British Columbia, there's a lot of like condemnation. And then even worse when you talk about Alberta, like Alberta, everyone cringes, but I come here and it's like these amazing communities of of just like such hardworking, incredible people, and I've only had ama- like I've only had great experiences. And this is like a low time. This is not like a great time for Alberta, especially now with all these uh, dropping oil prices with OPEC. So it's a uh, my experience here has been a ton of hardworking people just looking to get after it and provide for themselves and their loved ones and their families. And I think that should be encouraged. And that's a, a lot more of the Canadian backbone that people realize.
0: Um, what are You know, kind of goes back to what we were saying a little bit earlier, I guess. But, like, what is your opinion on this stuff as far as, you know, the economic shutdown as well as the anxiety around the actual pandemic spreading? Um, What are your opinions, if any, on uh, its effects on on the population's mental health?
1: Yeah, that's a thing that you can't quantify. Going, like, to that – sorry, what was the – yeah, when you're the I don't know if I mentioned this quote earlier, but when you're studying smoking, that's easy. Just count the number of cigarettes and duration impacts packs per day. But something like radon, how do you measure exposure, particularly biologically relevant exposure that's taken place in the past? So that quote's perfect for talking about COVID, but it's also perfect for talking about mental health. Is that like we can't mm-hmm. measure it? Mm-hmm. So the consequences again are going to be non-negligible. I think we can all say at the very least. Mm-hmm. And, and so, how is that going to play out? How long is going is that going to take to recover? is that worth dwelling on at all or considering right now when we're doing these massive shutdowns? Cause there are consequences that are being ignored. So it's uh, i believe it is important to consider. I believe the mental health consequences are going to be rather severe. Uh, I believe that if you get some companies are going to be able to get back to normal and, and continue on, but there's a lot of organizations that just, they'll be able to open the doors again. But when they're, it's like, they're starting a new business. So say you have like a, Anywhere from one to three year period where you're expecting for you're making profits, but now you're making profits. Everything's all good. You're like, okay, we've got a sustainable business now, and we have this shutdown. It's basically like you're starting that business all over again, because the economy at large is not spending as aggressively as they were. Yeah. That yeah. everybody's pocketbooks are a little thinner yeah. than they'd like them to be.
0: You're using all the strategies you did to to pull in leads and clients and customers mm-hmm. like you did at the start. Anyway, yeah.
1: yeah, restart. No, it's a, and then there's a lot other a big thing in real estate is people will refinance. So if I buy a house and then I refinance that house to buy another house and I refinance that house to buy another house. And I just, as long as I keep putting renters in those houses, I'm able to get uh, a bigger mortgage with less money down essentially because I'm showing an income on the properties that I already have. If I have 10 of those properties and eight of them stop paying rent, what happens? You know, there's And like, I don't know. Um, I just think that there's a lot of money that's not being paid and people are going to come calling for it. Unless there's so many people that can't pay that banks are just like, okay, we're just gonna put a pause on everybody's paying mortgages. And that's kind of what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but it's an interesting observation. Uh, People just in general that are, have never experienced it. I think it's a, I'm hoping this all passes in four to six weeks. Uh, We're able to look back and just be like, that was crazy. And like, that's all the conversation we have about it. But I also think there's a lot of uh, lessons that people are able to take away from it that are super positive. And the experience itself has been pretty positive in a lot of ways. Like I don't know about you guys, but I talk to my parents on the phone pretty much every day. You know I've been having a lot of really great conversations on the phone, whether or on Skype or on whatever, on Zoom, and everything like that that piece has been really cool, the ability to step back and reconnect. Mm-hmm. and And then thinking about expanding platforms that are not face to face is is increasingly scalable. so that's really interesting. But it's just like that's a small piece of the business that's an opportunity for you to to consider and grow at this time. You know, and it's probably not going to be a great time to grow it specifically right now because right. <laughs> everybody's doing it largely. And there's so much competition in the virtual space all of a sudden. And there's kind of constricted uh, expenditure. People's willingness to spend has been reduced. But it's good to have. And once mm-hmm. you create it, it'll eventually be able to be molded and shaped into something that is more viable. And like, this is just giving you the freedom to step back and do so. So like there are positives to take away from the experience. Um, in general, I guess (laughs) and it's not such a bad thing for most people that aren't dying. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I guess that on, on that note, do you think
0: a lot of, uh, companies, corporations, even small businesses will that do, uh, employ, uh, any non-zero amount of, of people do you think that they're going to start to see because of this they're gonna be like oh wow we can actually get similar or the same amount of 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 production done without people even coming into work or do you know what i mean like are, yeah, some i of hope these, so yeah. uh
1: well there's so there's always something super conservative dude where people say like working less hours makes you more productive i'm like ah you're full of shit <laughs> um, that's that's almost almost always been my set. It's like something that's very frustrating, like thinking the epitome of progress is when you have a 23 hour work week and have four days off. Like that's not, I'm not anywhere near there, but I do think there's something to said with like the creativity and flexibility of autonomy in the workplace. And this natural experiment has provided an opportunity for hundreds of thousands of people yeah. to work from home And they may very well be equally as productive. So they can have the flexibility in their life to do so. Now, my fear is that the second businesses reopen their doors, they expect everyone to be there because that's the way it is. And they don't really take this as an opportunity to uh, make their workforce a little more dynamic. But I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that people are able to get a little more flexibility from this. Like You've done an amazing job. Thank you so much for the work you did at home during this very stressful period. Do you want to keep working at home a little bit? Right. And asking that question to the employees, and I, I think that's a super reasonable thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not super optimistic that'll happen, but it is a, a it's a natural experiment in the world of economics. Totally. The, the, you can't ever run an experiment like this. It's hundred mm-hmm. percent unethical in every way. Yeah. But we have the experiment taking place, so how can we observe it and take the most positive inferences yeah. from it as
0: possible? I just wish COVID was more ethical, you know.
1: Yeah. Right. Because like some people <laughs> you have a bunch of people that you keep in a cell and give yeah. them COVID. And then a bunch of people that you don't, if you had like maybe
0: a cure and can the no UN put like, yeah. Can the UN <laughs> put like, uh, human rights violation sanctions on COVID or something like this, yeah. is, to- this is totally yeah. illegal. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Everything about it. Everything about it seems unethical. I agree. Oh,
0: geez. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I wanted to talk like a little bit more, I guess on the, uh, epidemiology and like maybe it's limits just as far as like uh, yeah touch more on that stuff because I know that you have a master's degree in in epi and yeah. everybody's uh, you know it's kind of going around on social media that everybody's a uh, uh, <laughs> a coach epidemiologist right yeah <laughs> yeah it seems like it so um, the when I went to grad school
1: uh, one of the classes I don't remember the specific name of the course but Uh, one of the things the prof did was she got this paper that was criticizing epidemiology and she went through the criticisms and kind of said how they were largely invalid that paper was written by a gentleman named gary tobes who i believe you have a little bit of an issue with (laughs) in the nutrition sciences but he wrote a paper called epidemiology faces its limits and it was published in science and and i read through it and and i just kept nodding you know yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah that makes a lot of sense and the criticisms also made some sense, but I think that the criticisms of his paper—I mean, but his assessment of epidemiology and where we're at—was extremely effective. And a, a, a large takeaway was that when you make this epidemiological inference, and the media gets a hold of it, they're able to make a seemingly conclusive claim on very shady data. Now, I'm not saying the data shouldn't be analyzed because, like, go Ta- for and it.
0: Tobs was saying that, yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. 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 I think think most people would. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: I think you'd really dig this article in particular. Um, but so that's the smoking quote I gave earlier. That was a a big one. Smoking is like very easy to study because it's magnitude of effect is so, so huge. You know, there's going to be, if you're talking about like odds ratios, it's like a hundredfold increased risk factor in a lot of certain, like something so substantial that you, you can't ignore. But when you're talking about like a 1.5 times increased risk of whatever, that's a little more like, let's assess this a little more closely. When they're absolutely giant, you can make a not causal claim still, but you could start getting towards that general direction and maybe get some motivation to do further study. But so smoking is an easy one. But then the, the example that I just mentioned about radon, it's like, how do you actually measure exposure? Or when you're talking about COVID, how do you actually measure exposure? And that's going to be a bit of a challenge. And all you can do is you can go to COVID positive patients. He's like, Hey, what'd you get up to the past couple of weeks? What'd you get up to the past right. month? And give me like step-by-step step everything you did on the 15 minute interval for the past six weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, even if you asked a more reasonable question, you're still going to get a very flawed answer. And that's the, yeah. the issue we, everyone has with recall bias and, and some sort of um, a yeah. questionnaire based studies. Yeah. And then nutrition, we've all, kind of had our criticisms of the, the the literature in nutrition where it's like record a dialogue or, or what did you eat last week? Yeah, What'd you eat yesterday? Even that's just as be.
0: tricky if not more. Yeah, Nutritional exactly. science is, is tough. You know? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: The, the question that's most significant, what's the fundamental quality of the data? And to what extent is there biases that cannot be controlled by statistical analysis? So that's a quote from the, the, the article as well. And the bias here, It's if you asked how many people have COVID. So you you don't know. You don't have any idea. So anytime you use a proportional statistic, it's guaranteed to have a giant flaw because Mm -hmm. you don't know what the base population is. It's like of the COVID positive patients that went to the hospital, this percentage recovered and this percentage died. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But to be panicked by that statistic is is unwarranted in well and that opinion. goes
0: into the relative risk and the absolute risk right mm-hmm. and the relative numbers and the absolute numbers is yeah. uh kind of important to understand i think from that perspective
1: well it's like even so relative risk you're talking about uh canada having a higher pop the higher percentage of covid deaths for example than america this isn't the truth but say mm-hmm. canada had a higher percentage in the states and the media would say Canada has a much higher risk. And then if you talk about absolute numbers and the total number of people that have died is just way bigger in the States because there's way more people than you're talking absolute terms. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about like the, any percent you derive, whether absolute or relative or sorry, I guess absolute wouldn't be a percent, but any percent you derive with a flawed denominator. So like what's the population? Yeah. Yeah. But you have no clue. Mm -hmm. And like, I just like, if it is that infectious if like i've read articles suggesting that 40 to 70 percent of people will be infected if that's the reality then you can't avoid it you no know, realistically unless you are i mean completely locking your doors and maybe you have food delivered and you let it sit outside for a matter of six days to make sure that the virus is not going to be uh kind of present on the surface of it or you bring it in you spray it down with alcohol i don't even know if that would work but yeah. If you've got to have really extreme measures, and I think those like that severity may be appropriate if you are at a high risk. Now, what that means is a question worth answering. I don't have that answer, but I'd like to be able to collect enough data to be able to make an inference that would be a uh, an intervention that's rational and effective. Right. Um, <clears throat> so biggest questions. Who's actually vulnerable? Who's not vulnerable? What's our, who are our most sensitive populations? Uh, what are the mechanisms of contraction? What, what's going to cause it? Is it literally being in proximity? Is that it? Is it, a, is it surface? Is it everything? Is it literally just like you have to shut down the world? That's the only intervention possible? Is that, is that the truth? If it is, then it is. You know, there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. And I think it's yeah. totally appropriate. But Right. Yeah, trying to find that strong association between the disease and the risk factor. So the disease is COVID, but who has it? I need, I need everybody that has it. It's not just the people that have it in a symptomatic way. Who has it? Then the risk factor is like being able to really identify. Is that being immunocompromised? Is that being near people? What is that specific risk factor that we're going to try to hone in on and make sure people are very well aware of what it is? Because mm-hmm. right now, when you just like everything's a risk factor, suddenly nothing's a risk factor to a lot of people, and I think that's going to take away from the effectiveness of the approach of just
0: don't do anything, right? You know, right? Yeah.
1: So.
2: I don't know if you have the answer to this question at all or if you've given any thought into it and if you haven't obviously just say that Um, but I essentially know nothing about this can viruses mutate and would there be is that a problem now that like if enough people get the corona and we don't do anything to try to fight it it'll mutate and people can get it over and over again do you have any thought
1: yeah so that's a it's the hep c experience is actually really relevant here so there's a a bunch of different genotypes of hepatitis c And which means like there was a lot of medications when they first came out with the direct-acting antivirals, there were some medications that only affect genotypes one and three, and then some for only two and four, and some for only five and one. And so there's a bunch of these different medications that work for uh, different genotypes. We had all the genotypes covered, so everybody would have treatment, but you can get reinfected with a different genotype, or you could have numerous genotypes. There's a lot of different scenarios that were uh, being dealt with case by case. In this circumstance, there can be, one million different strains of COVID, but we don't have a solution for any. Right. So it's a less relevant conversation right now. When it's okay. like we, and the big problem you have is when you take an anti antiretroviral or you take a, say an antibiotic for COVID and the antibiotic doesn't work, then you're gonna have this uh, virus that's able to mutate to overcome the antibiotics essentially. So your biggest fear <sighs> Is a, a resistance to antibiotics or a resistance to treatment, and right. that's like so. When you so with the with the Hep C medications, it's a virus. But when you take your medication, you can clear the virus. But if you take it, say you're supposed to take it every day for 28 days. It's actually every day for 12 weeks, but whatever. Say 28 days because we get it a bottle at a time, and you take the first day, and you take the ninth day, and you take the 21st day. And so you're getting these little exposures to what you need, you're getting a little exposure to the treatment, but not enough to actually defeat the virus. The virus can then mutate to overcome the treatment. And so then 3 months later you're like, "No, I'm going to take it seriously this time, I promise." And you take it every single day, but suddenly the virus is no longer responsive to that medication.
2: Right. So
1: that's a that's a real concern. But again, it's like yeah. we don't have any treatments. Yeah. You know, there there is no cure. There is no specific treatment for COVID. I don't know if they, if they go general antibiotics and that works or the individuals would have been just like, let it pass. I don't know. Yeah. So that, that's the kind of questioning that I have.
0: Um, you kind of getting to the end of this. I do have a, a positive question for you. You said, those. uh, you said before that you'd, uh, been practicing some, uh, positive confirmation bias by uh, googling the all the good news stories do you have any that you could share um that you've come across where you're like oh that's good that's good so the Um, one thing
1: you look at with an epidemic is the the rate of doubling right and that's how you're going to create this really nice exponential curve and so flattening the curve is flattening (laughs) the exponential growth rate
0: you're such a data guy you just said a really nice exponential curve just the way you said
2: (laughs) (laughs) nobody said he's like like explaining a nice car (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's
2: a really
1: nice (laughs) exponential curve. So if you're reducing or like shortening the doubling rate, you are reducing the spread of the virus. And that's happening. That's happening. I'm pretty sure it's happening globally. It's definitely happening in Alberta. I got very biased, (laughs) very biased (laughs) considerations. But uh, uh, here, that's a really great thing. The number of cases are going down. So of new admissions for COVID, which is another great thing. And it could be uh, the result of an amazing policy to shut down everything. I'm super open to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what are your predictions moving forward if you had to give some? All right, some... so I have no credibility
1: here. But I would have to say, <laughs> uh, I think business as usual, mid-May.
0: Okay.
1: Sorry. Yeah. Business some business usual as, as usual. Yeah, yeah. so like six weeks away, Yeah. Uh, we're able to resume and be able to identify what – specific interventions should be taken moving forward but a lot of people are able to return to work um, I think this will all blow over in like three to four months and it will be forgotten about in a year and <laughs> you know nothing else will change um, the things that my hopes with regards to like domestic supply and domestic manufacturing I don't think that'll change just because it's there's so much cost associated with it yeah. And the second that this isn't an issue it, it won't be treated as a potential future issue
0: Right. It'll just go back to the way yeah. it was economically yeah. so,
1: And that was shown with the SARS, I guess epidemic that happened however many years ago, it was controlled, it was isolated, it was squashed, but this, still the virus. Ex- so it's no longer uh, circulating the population, but it exists. You can have samples of the virus to analyze and provide cures and treatments for that mm-hmm. wasn't done. The second it was the second that SARS was controlled, we move on. Don't worry about it. D- deal with other shit. So that's the reality of the world that we live in. Um, I think it might make a lot of sense to, even though it's no longer here, continue to address and create solutions for potential related problems in the future and just be able able to study those molecules to be able to address them more effectively. That would make sense. But otherwise, yeah.
0: You know, man, like I, the, I, too, have been trying to focus more on like the silver linings of these things, uh, not just for me personally, but uh, us as a society. And like there is some pretty cool stories out there of like local entrepreneurs and, and different business owners that are, are uh, whether it's, you know, I think everybody's pretty aware now of all these different local small town distilleries that would otherwise be making uh, edible alcohol. And now they're making hand sanitizer in these massive vats. And like stuff like that's pretty cool. Um, and then I know that there's a couple young, uh, a young couple uh, who are uh, uh, entrepreneurs themselves here in Guelph. And pretty, pretty rapidly, they developed this, uh, this uh, pretty simple idea, and just to help incentivize people to stay home, and and twofold to to support local business was they were going around filling up this box called the Guelph Box, I think they call it, from local businesses in Guelph, filling it up. With different items and then delivering it to people's houses, Um, which is like just like I love it. I love stuff like that. Like that's that's really cool, you know. So and I think there's a lot of that stuff going on. They're always like the small news stories. They don't get the front line, but like stuff Mm -hmm. like that's always good to hear. I think.
1: I think that you could, but until you have more conclusive data, I think those should be the only news stories.
0: Right. Yeah. That's There there
1: is a lot of them. So if you don't have something new to say then just like, we don't have to say anything. There's so mm-hmm. many amazing things happening right now yeah. and we can focus all of our attention and energy on that.
0: Yeah. It's yeah.
1: that would make a lot more sense and I'd be super supportive of that. Yeah. Um, I also going the media machine works how it does. And, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't suspect that will be adopted, but hopefully they yeah. give us a listen and change all their principles and protocols.
0: Uh, Brian Howland, do you have, uh, do you have any thoughts or anything you, uh, I know Tyler actually has a question that he usually poses to the guests at the end. Um, I guess mine kind of leads up to that, but no, you can you know. just pose it to him for me. Yeah, just uh, what is something that you would want everyone to know? Maybe considering the topic at hand and the current climate mm. as well. With that, I think
1: like the analogy that I often use is like it's like you're a a shot and a slingshot. And the world's kind of just pulling you back, pulling you back, pulling you back. And you want to build as much tension into that elastic as you can. And that would take the shape of like any sort of personal development that you have the opportunity to pursue in this moment. So, I mean, just like literally reading, if you want to just, there's so many online uh, resources that you can use to train different skills that would be applicable in whatever you want to pursue. And I know like for me, that's like often data science. And I, I look at a lot of like R programming, That's interesting to me. I'm doing a bunch of courses on that right now. There's also just reading, generally reading, personal development in that sense. And there's also like the connection piece. It's just because you're at home doesn't mean you can't have a, a connection to other people. And that doesn't have to be phone calls. That doesn't have to be Skype dates. That can be writing a letter. Like you can just sit at home and write letters for four hours and I guarantee you it's gonna make everyone that receives them feel like a million bucks. And those are the kind of things that we can take the time now to do. And then if you are in a situation where things got really tight and you're a little overextended, you can have the peace of mind of knowing that things will correct in a period of time. And you're not the only one at all. So there's going to be some large-scale interventions that are here to address this and take the learning experience for what it is, but don't dwell on it. Like the past is the past. Nothing you can do about that now. And we're going to move forward and move on. And so use this as a period of time to develop as much as you can and come out of it with that as much tension in that slingshot as possible. It's just to get like a place of prosperity.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's a fantastic analogy bro i was like where's he going with bad. this for that yeah. you ended yeah. that so beautifully
1: yeah, yeah. every well, time i've been awesome. in a dark dark period of my life i just keep like reminding myself i'm just getting pulled back and pulled back and pulled back but you know it's coming there's going to be a point in time in the future where we just get let go and launched into yeah. this excess and abundance and that's the nice. kind of attitude that's going to allow you to get through anything So. Yeah, Love it. That's what That's we the Alberta awesome mindset.
2: Man. That's the Alberta mindset right there. access and buttons, baby. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, bro. No, anything you. else to add, man? What's that? Anything else to add? That's all I got, man. I think uh, there's cool. tons of good books out there. I'd recommend getting a Kindle so you don't have to go to the bookstore. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a great <laughs> Download that on your phone. I guess it's probably not supporting local, but uh, you can return them after and buy them from your local bookstore if you're so inclined. Uh, Definitely. But yeah, there's just, uh, stay positive out there, stay, uh, stay at home, give your family and friends a, a, a shout, tell them you love them, and <laughs> enjoy this as much as you can.
2: Couldn't have said it better myself. If you're looking Good for answer. personal protective equipment, you're going to call Brian. Uh, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> probably don't do that. Like,
1: uh, there's so much chaos. I don't actually see anything. Usually I'll get samples sent to me and I'll be able to tinker and play and be able to really understand every single thing that I'm promoting and selling. With the PPE, it's like I know these are the specs. If these yeah, are what yeah. you're looking for, we can provide them, and then I just pass it on to customer service that gets shipped to them. I never see a damn thing. So nice. Yeah, obviously, obviously I can't having... Imagine
2: people start like messaging you, Brian. Yeah. I was listening to the Between Test podcast.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: no, that's beautiful. I think we 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 touched on a lot of really important topics. Mm-hmm. right? like your mindset and all that. It was beautiful. And uh yeah, I'm I'm
0: satisfied for sure. What about you, Tip? I'm good. He has fulfilled me thanks Sweet. for coming on the show man that was yeah. uh, i think we got to the bottom of it we know all the answers now to covid and Definitely. uh we know exactly how to move forward yeah. i'm
2: gonna go inside right now because i feel yeah. amazing
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the big takeaway is that nobody has the answer so don't freak out so much and let's just take this for what it is and enjoy it as much as humanly possible
2: well let's end on that note all, all right fellas right, right, thanks, thanks, thanks for, for coming on the bright. show
1: bro. thanks for having me I'll talk thanks to for you guys listening later.
2: To everybody and uh we'll see you in the next one Yep.